It's been a good week, amen? It's been a blessed week. Um, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to continue our study through the seven churches of Revelation. Um, excited to be a part of... I'm just... Just studying it myself, reading things, there's new things that I'm seeing in the text as I read through it. I'm just, I love it. I love this. But this week, the church is, uh, Smyrna is the church that we're going to talk about. And if you remember, John, who is the, the guy who penned this letter, was on the island of Patmos. He was in solitary, a solitary confinement there on the island of Patmos. And we, and we see in the text that God shows up in the middle of his isolation. And even though he's isolated, God's not isolated. Amen. You might be isolated. John may have been isolated, but God's not isolated. God can always get to you. So Jesus Christ shows up and shows him some just amazing things in the text. He tells him in in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9, John says, I, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and, the, and patient with, with patient endurance that are in Jesus, was now on the island of Patmos on the Lord's day. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write the things that you see in a book and send them to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so we've got John writing these letters to the seven churches. Last week we talked about Ephesus. This week we talk about Smyrna. And so I want us to look at this, this church that was talked about in the letter. And this is the, the word Smyrna actually means... Myrrh. Now, where have we heard myrrh before? We're getting ready to come into that season. Remember? What did the three wise men have? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Which is an interesting, uh, interesting thing to give to a baby. Why did, what, what was the purpose of myrrh? Myrrh was actually the fragrance you put on a dead body to keep it from stinking. Interesting, right? Unless you knew who Jesus was and what, what was his purpose. Why did he come? Yeah, he came to seek and to save. He came, he was born to die. But Smyrna, so a little bit, let's do, well, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of history on Smyrna here this morning before we go. Smyrna was actually, they actually held the rights to export and import exclusively had the rights to import and export the fragrance of myrrh. They sold this fragrance to Egypt. They sold it to different countries around in the area, so they had the exclusive rights. Uh, there was some people that I was, when I was studying this, as I read through it, said that they, um, that the wise men may have stopped through Smyrna to pick up some of the fragrances to take at the birth of Christ. But Smyrna was a wealthy city because of this fact, because they had this exclusive right. Smyrna was called the crown of Asia. It was also what is now, it was also in modern day Turkey, just like Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. Uh, it was a beautiful city in Asia. It was a thriving port city for the Roman Empire. So because it was a thriving port city for the Roman Empire, there was um, worship of the emperor. They had temples set up to the, uh, to the um, worship of the emperor. And a little bit of a history lesson on this. 
Smyrna was actually completely destroyed in 600 BC by, a, by the Lydian king Atlatus, is his name. And he left that town a tiny little village. When he left, it was completely decimated, destroyed, nothing more than a tiny little village. And when Alexander the Great came through on his conquest, he had a dream to rebuild the massive city. He wanted to rebuild it to its, to its beauty, and so he did. And a part of their history and their literature, if you read even today, some of their literature, some of the stuff that's on the walls, some of the stuff that's in their actual literature, they call, they're called the city that was once dead and was resurrected. So it was this theme that Jesus picks up in the text as he writes his letter to this church. Interesting, right? He looks at the text. So let's look at verse 8. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Now, who's the angel? Do you guys remember from last week? Who's the angel? Do I go back? The angel's the pastor. So, Sam, if you want to call me your angel. (laughs) Golly. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So Jesus has this theme of death and resurrection. What did Jesus, what happened to Jesus? Jesus died and what happened to him? He was resurrected. He died on the cross and was resurrected three days. So he had this this theme in the text, who died and came back to life. So he starts his letter off with the idea of life everlasting because of what Christ did on the cross and how he conquered the grave. That's the first thing we see in the text. Then he writes, he starts the letter off here. That Jesus, he says, he remembers, remember in the beginning of the text when Jesus was pictured walking. Now think about this. When Jesus was pictured walking through the midst of the lampstands, It means that he understands what we're going through. He's in the midst of the church and he's walking in the midst of the actual churches. He he knows what the church is going through. He knows what you and I are in the middle of. He is there in the middle of all of it and he knows and he actually cares. So when he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, that's what he says in the text here in the next. I write these words to you. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and they are not, but they are rather the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So when Jesus says, I know your tribulations, I know your poverty, he says, listen, I understand where you're at. This applies to you as well. When Jesus says, I know your tribulations, he knows your specific tribulations that you're walking through. In 2 Peter, it says that, Cast all of our anxieties, all of our cares on Christ because He knows and He cares for us. So this is what this idea, when He says, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. And when you see the word tribulation there, 
The word tribulation, it actually refers to an ancient method of torture. The word tribulation just means it, it, it was actually a, a, a device that was used. The victim would be laid on his back and they would place heavy weights on the chest of the individual until they were crushed, until they could no longer breathe by the weight that was placed on their chest. One upon another until the weight crushed the chest until the point where the victim could no longer breathe. What an incredible picture, right? Think about that. The weight of the world, the weight of sin, the weight of the world on us. It's an incredible picture. How many of us in this room this morning have felt the weight of sin and the weight of the world on us to the point where sometimes we couldn't even breathe? Anybody? Okay, a couple of us. Jesus recognizes this. And he calls out three major weights that are on the church. So this idea of tribulation, it's, it's a, he's talking about weight. He's talking about pressure. He's talking about pain in the church. So he's saying, listen, Church of Smyrna, I know you have three major weights. Number one, poverty. Christians were in this day, in this town, because it was a major Roman Empire, Christians were ostracized. Christians were, were, they knew who they were. No one wanted to buy their products. No one wanted to support Christians because they were Christians and they were viewed as awful, horrible people. And so the Romans, the Jews, everyone ostracized Christians and they were, they were known as uh, just people not to be associated with because of their stance that they took on God and their stance on the Bible. And, and, and th- I want you guys to think about this. That there is coming a day when if you follow and love the God of the Bible, it's going to cost you. When you follow the God of the Bible, when you follow the text that he's laid out, it is going to cost you. It is going to cost you your job possibly. It might even cost you your bank account. It might cost you that job that you've been trying to get. It might cost you the stance in the community. If you take, like, if you, right now, in the world right now in 2020, if you take a biblical stance on sexuality and on marriage, just those two things, you are ostracized, called hate monger. If you say, I believe that the Bible says that God created man and woman, and because God created man and woman, in Genesis chapter 3, it says that they are, the man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. God created and ordained marriage between one man and one woman. You hold that stance in this world, you will be ostracized. This church was ostracized. This group of people, these groups of believers in Smyrna were ostracized because of their stance on Jesus Christ. They said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through Him. So because of that... They were ostracized. If you take a biblical stance on these things, publicly take a biblical stance on sexuality and marriage, you're called a bigot and a hate monger. If you take a biblical stance on life, if you take a biblical stance on abortion, you are called narrow-minded and bigoted and just a country bumpkin redneck. You're not progressive. Let me tell you something. If you... You cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and be pro-abortion. If 
if you're poor pro-abortion, I tell you this much right now. You are not a follower of Christ. Period. Abortion, abortion is murder. And if you say, oh, I believe that abortion is not murder. It's a woman's choice. You are sadly mistaken and you will have the God of the universe to stand in. You'll have, you'll have to talk with him at the end of this. How dare you attempt to say that it is woman's, it's a woman's choice. A child should not be murdered for the sins of the father or of the mother. 99.9% of abortions are only committed because it's a lifestyle and they want to get, oh, it, it's going it's to impact my lifestyle. Grow up. Grow up. You want to you wanna have sex, pre- perform marriage? Have sex and keep the baby. Now, let me just go a little further. You want to have sex before marriage? It's, it's actually condemned to hell. Jesus says in 2 Corinthians, if you commit fornication, you will be liable for hell. That's not my words. That's the God of the universe. This, this is why the church was so ostracized. Because the worldview of Christ rubs against this, the world of which we live in. The world loves to sin. The world enjoys sin. And if you take a biblical stance on life, marriage, abortion, any of these things, you're cast out in the communities in which we live. I'm going to promise you that life is more important. God said in Psalms, chapter, uh, in Psalms 139 that we were formed and we were knit together in our mother's wombs. And if you believe that that, that that life that's in your stomach, that's in your womb, is just the clump of cells, you're sadly mistaken, and you, my friend, need to repent. Period. This might get me fired, Jamie. But I, I just, I got, it's time to make a, a line in the sand. If you, if you don't believe the Bible, if you don't believe the Bible... I'm sure that there's another church in this town that doesn't teach the Bible. You can probably find it. I I will stand on the authority of God's word till Jesus comes. Period. And I get it in America right now. we We have so much. We have so much progressive ideas and we're smart we think we know what's going on i get it in america right now we don't have a lot really to that we're it's not costing us a lot if i take a stance on this so you guys are just some of you just unfriend me on facebook that's okay but there are certain nations where if you take a stance on this you are thrown off of buildings you're shot in the street your your head is sawn in two like it, you're, you're cut in half if you take a stance on the Bible. Like this is, like I want you to just think about this. Amy Barrett Coney, or Coney Barrett, the lady that's running for um, Supreme Court Justice that has the, that's been nominated for that. They're grilling her over her stance on marriage and life. Because they can't get anything else because the lady is, is rock solid. So the liberal left says, well... Her stance on marriage and life. Man, like this is wicked. It's evil. Like the enemy wants, to, wants us to believe that those things are okay. Neither one of those two things are okay and they need to be repented of. I get it, man. I get it. It's going to cost us. 
In John chapter 15, it tells us that there is going to be a cost to following Jesus because of who Jesus is, because Jesus is countercultural to the world. But I love this next part. He says, I know your poverty, I know your tribulation, but you're rich. But you're rich. Why? Because when you gain Christ and you forsake the rest of the world, you gain everything. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 through 38 says, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? So many of us, so many of us are forfeiting our souls to the world. We're forfeiting our souls over the wokeness of the world. And we're forsaking what Christ has said. And we're gain, yeah, we're maybe gaining the world, but we're forfeiting our soul. Look what happens. For what will it, what can a man give in return for his soul? For whatever, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, listen, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father and his holy angels. There is coming a day when some of you have just fluffed off repentance you fluffed off the idea of following christ you fluffed off i don't care about jesus it's not that big of a deal i want to live my life i want to do me i want to have my own thing and you're going to stand in front of god one day and you're going to be like wait a minute i went to church matthew chapter 7 where they says i want lord lord didn't we do mighty amazing things in your name? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we get involved in this? Weren't we a part of this? And then Jesus will plainly look at you and say, I don't know you. Depart from me into the everlasting flame, you who work iniquity. That's Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. So if you're ashamed to stand on biblical principles now, you will not be recognized by the God of the universe in eternity. So I would, I would very much tell you this morning to repent if you are not standing on biblical principles. If you're standing on any other principles, of, oh, this is just, it makes me feel good, so I want to do this. I think this feels right. I think this is right. Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. If you follow God's word, I know men and women for, that have been following God's word for seven, eight generations Decades, They've been following Christ. And because they followed Christ, is their life perfect and wonderful all the time? Do they have tribulation? Yes. But they have peace beyond all compare. And you'll see in a minute that they will be given the crown of life. So yes, you may be financially poor. But if God says you're rich, you're rich. Amen? Amen? Come on now. So that's number one, poverty. Number two, they're slandered as a subculture. That's the second part. When Hitler said the Jews were less than human, I'm sure that the church of Smyrna sort of kind of just said, wait a minute, (laughs) that's happened to us. They were slandered as a subculture. Christians today are maligned by every other religious organization in the world. Jews, Muslims, pagans, all of them. And in this day, Jews and pagans align themselves to go against Christianity. Christianity today is maligned. The Jews of this day align themselves with pagans and slandered and killed Christians in Smyrna. Found, got, enjoyed sport trying to kill these, trying to kill people. John, back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 tells us that the word 
I'm sorry, that the world hated Jesus, so it's going to hate you. And sometimes it won't make any ounce of sense. John chapter 15, verse 25, listen to this. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. They hated me for no apparent reason. Just like in today's world, people hate Christians for no logical sense other than they belong to Christ and the enemy hates Christ so he wants to destroy Christians. Sometimes when we take a biblical stance on principles in the world, people will slander us and call us names. They'll mock us. Like I said, you might get passed over for that promotion just for the two stances I mentioned earlier. But trust me, Following Christ is the right thing to do. And sometimes you're going to suffer for, for this kind of stuff from people who say that they belong to Jesus. People who say they belong to Jesus will slander you and call you a biblical fun- fundamentalist, narrow-minded, bigot, redneck, whatever else they want to call you. Because you stand on biblical principles. I'd rather stand on biblical principles all day long than stand on my own thoughts and processes and then stand in front of the God of the universe. It's going to go bad for you if that's who you are. It's going to be bad. The same thing happens here in this text. These people said that they were Jews. They were followers of the way. And they actually were just getting in to try to malign and tear these people apart. They aligned themselves. What did the text say? What's it say? These people, they say that they are Jews, but they are not. But rather, they are of the synagogue of Satan. Like, this is strong language. Like, this is telling us, listen, people, you need to understand that these people aren't really believers. They say they're believers, but they're actually the synagogue of Satan. This is big stuff. Satan hates God, so he's going to do whatever he can to make Christ followers' lives miserable. The third weight that they have... So that was the second weight was slander. The third weight was prison. They will face prison and even death. What's the text say? Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for ten days. That you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears, let him hear. So they were, they were told that they were potentially going to face prison. According to Open Doors, which is the persecuted church, I was telling Sunday school classes this morning, 11 Christians every single day in the world are killed exclusively and solely because they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Globally, 600, or I'm sorry, 260 million Christians are harassed and persecuted every single day because they follow Jesus Christ. This church was the persecuted church. We live in a day and an age of the persecuted church. More people are killed today for the cause of Christ than were back in the Colosseum days in Rome. Globally, millions are persecuted for Christ. But look at verse 10. But I want you to see this in verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. 
I think about John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome. I, I, I've overcome. Yes, you were gonna, like, right now we live in an age where people are persecuted for the cause of Christ. And yes, I know that people, Christians have been persecuted through all of, the, the, all of created history. But we live in a day and a time right now where Christians are actively persecuted. And you say, well, I live in America, so I'm safe. Maybe for the moment. But it's coming for you. This is where we need to bolster ourselves. This is why the community of the church is important to know and to follow each, like the love, and, uh, to know and to follow and to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to be tight knit together as a community of faith. It is so vitally important that we know and follow Jesus. Because this is the time when testing is going to come. Like you're, trust me, it's coming. The testing is coming. And Jesus made a promise to us. You will have tribulation. But do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. It says some of you are going to be thrown into jail for 10 days. That just simply means the tribulation that you're walking through is not forever. You're not going to walk through this forever. It's just a slice of time. It's just a moment in time. You're only here for a few moments. You're only persecuted for a few moments. So he says, listen to this. Listen to verse 11. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You will not be hurt by the second death. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 says, don't be afraid of those who will kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Here's the thing. We've been promised as Christians that we will have tribulation in this life. But if we have, we have the promise of an everlasting life in Christ. If you follow Jesus, it says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Like, be faithful to the end of this thing. It's tough. The world is rough right now, and it's going to get rougher. But Jesus says, listen, be faithful unto death, and I'm going to give you the crown of life. Like, now more than ever is when we as Christians should be excited. Look up, because our redemption is drawing near. Like, it's, He's coming. Jesus is coming. We've been promised everlasting life. When you put your hope, when you put your faith, when you put your trust in Jesus alone, who can take you out? I think of Romans chapter 8. Think about, you remember in Romans 8? Some of you probably have this memorized, but I'm going to read it just for context's sake. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 what shall, we say th- what, what shall we say then about these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will, will he not also with him graciously give all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who could condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, 
He was raised and now he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding, making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or disease or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? For it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all things, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's like, are y'all stone cold asleep this morning? Like that should cause some of us to get excited. Amen? Like this, this is the stuff that should get us fired up about Jesus. That we can't be separated. No persecution, nothing that people say about us can separate us from God. God wins in the end, amen? God wins regardless of who's in the White House, amen? God is king over all. It doesn't matter who's in charge in the Senate or the White House or anywhere else. Because Jesus sits on the throne and he's the one who has the final say. He's the buck stops with Christ. John saw that on the Isle of Patmos. He turned and he saw, what did he do? His reaction was nothing more than he fell prostrate. The Bible says he fell prostrate at his feet, laid down and was just an abject worship at who he saw. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Stand up. Dust yourself up. We've got some stuff to do. Let's write some stuff down. Let's write a few things down. We've got some things to talk about. Guys, the, the time, yes, it is gloriously dark out. But man, that's, that just means God is about to do something big. And we need to be paying attention as a church. Amen? Amen? We need to be paying attention to the church. We need to be standing on biblical convictions. If you say you love and follow Jesus Christ, stand up for His Word. Don't let the the crazy leftist Marxist agenda step out into your life and try try to convert you and mold you into its image. It's wicked, it's evil, and it's satanic. It's satanic in nature. Follow Christ and His Word and you will not go astray. When you follow Christ and His Word, when you follow Christ and His Word, you will, my friends, have life of the everlasting. If you just think that this book is a dusty, old, silly thing, man, I I feel sorry for you. Because there's coming a day, there's coming a day when you're going to have to give an account for what, how you stood on this word, what you thought about this word, what you did with this word, you're going to have to give an account. Young folks, you're, 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 you're here, you're the church. If you're not standing up for biblical principles, now the world wants to sweep that stuff away from you. You get into a college room, you get into it with a professor, you've got moron professors that have just no regard for godliness whatsoever. Their, their stated goal in most colleges, even Christian colleges, is to try to wipe out your biblical view and replace it with a satanic, worldly view. 
I'm telling you, there's coming a day you're going to have to give an account. And man, I'm terrified that some of us in the room, in this very room, are going to have, have the Matthew chapter 7 unfold in front of us. Where we're going to stand in front of God, and we're going to look at God, and we're going to say something like this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, you, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty, glorious works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Get out of here. Man, I think of the best illustration I can think of is, is if I, if Sam and I walked into the White, tried to jump the fence at the White House and run into the White House and say, listen, no, 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 we know the president. We know who he is. What, what in the world is going to happen to Sam and I? Sam and I are going to get taken out. Sam, they're going to tackle Sam. Probably can't, maybe you can tase him, I don't know. Throw me to the ground, punch me a couple times. Why? Even as much, wait a minute, I, I, but I know him, I know him, I know him. Not a big deal. We don't know you. Get out of here. They're going to throw us out on our ear. Have to rough us up a little bit, right? But if Baron walks in, some seven foot tall giant, like, ridiculous. If, if the president's kids walk in, they just walk in and just bump, they're not even bump the Secret Service. Walk right past them and just walk right into dad's office and say, hey, what's up, dad? Why? Because not only does their kids, it's, it's, it's family. That's dad. Some of us are going to get to heaven and be like, wait, I know Jesus. I heard about him. I saw him on a Sunday school felt board. I remember when his Pam was telling us about Jesus. I know him. Jesus is going to go, yeah, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. Get out. But here's the thing. This is the beautiful thing. You can know who Jesus Christ is today. You can repent of your sins and your worldview today and come under the, the, the tender tyranny of the, the king of grace. You're a slave to one of two things. You're a slave to the world or you're a slave to Christ. The world's going to leave you empty, broken, and messed up. Christ will leave you forgiven, reconciled, and redeemed. So that, like, that's where we are today, guys. We're... Like, this is a big decision for us today. Where do you, where do you land? I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own. I've got my own life to live. That's silly stuff you're preaching up there, preacher. What do you know? What do you know? You're right. Maybe I don't know much. But I do know this. That Jesus is king. And he loves us. But the thing that separates him from his authentic, everlasting love is for sin. He will not excuse sin. He won't excuse sin in my life. He won't excuse sin in your life. And I'm telling you, now is the time to repent because you've got breath in your lungs. Not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. There's a guy in my town a couple weeks, just a week ago. 
Woke up early at 6 a.m. I don't know the guy. I didn't know him. don't know his stance with God, but I do know this much. When he woke up at 5.30, 5 o'clock in the morning to go down to Tulsa, got his truck, and he was driving southbound on Highway 75 to go to Tulsa, he didn't know he was going to beat a, a horse in the middle of Highway 75, and that horse sheer off the top of his truck. And that horse killed him. I guarantee when he woke up Friday morning, he thought, you know what? We're going to have a great weekend. We're going to do some great things together as a family. We're going to bup, bup, bup. We have little kids and a wife. Some of you think, oh, I'm just going to get in the car. I'm going to go to lunch. I'm going to go do my thing. Maybe. None of us have promised tomorrow. And once you're, once you're done here, Scripture says, it is appointed unto man once to die and then to judge him. If you're in Christ, Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you're outside of Christ, you're in trouble. But I'm, I'm giving you an invitation this morning that tells you that you don't have to be in trouble anymore. You can repent of your sins. You can confess and repent of your sins. In Romans chapter 10, verse, verses 8, or 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, What's it say? You will be saved. That's a declaring statement. I should get us excited again. We can get excited and say amen on that one, all right? Amen. That's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. Yes, we're treasonous people, but God loves us anyways and redeems us. Woo! Yes! I should get us excited, amen? All right. I love you guys this morning. 